welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Don't be taken captive. This is Paul's message to the church in Colossae almost 2,000 years ago. And this is Paul's message to you. See that no one takes you captive. Now, a more literal translation of this verse would read something like this. See that no one carries you off as plunder. Don't be taken as plunder. Now, the image that this word paints, plunder, is of an army, marauders, pirates, attacking, conquering, and carrying off the conquered to sell into slavery. Human plunder. Now, the word plunder would have been jarring to the church as they read Paul's letter for the first time. If, if they were dozing while this letter was being read, the phrase would have woken them up. See that no one takes you captive. See that no one carries you off as plunder. Don't be taken. Don't be put in chains. Now, this is exactly what happened to God's people in our Old Testament reading. In our reading from Judges chapter 2, God's people were only two generations removed from Egypt, which means this. When God sent Moses to Egypt, after God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, their grandparents were slaves. It means their grandparents witnessed God's amazing acts upon Egypt. Their grandparents saw the plagues. The Nile River turned to blood. They saw the gnats and the the frogs and the hail and the darkness and the death of the firstborn. All accomplished by the Lord to free them. Their grandparents were freed. Their grandparents walked through the Red Sea. They saw the Egyptian army drown. They were led by a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night. Their grandparents heard God thundering from Mount Sinai, received the law, drank water from a rock, ate manna every day. It also means that their parents entered the promised land. Their parents followed Joshua across the Jordan River, watched the walls of Jericho fall. Their parents won battle after battle after battle over God's enemies. Now, because of their parents and grandparents, they knew the stories of God's mighty acts. They knew about his salvation. They knew about his grace. They were experiencing it. Their lives were a direct result of it. And what happened? They abandoned him. Two generations from Egypt, and they went after other gods. They served other gods. They worshiped other gods. 
They followed the people around them, followed the cultures around them, the nations around them. They, they abandoned their Savior. They abandoned their first love. And God let them be plundered. God gave them over to plunderers who took their possessions, who took their crops and their daughters and their sons and their land, who took their peace and their freedom. The unfaithfulness of God's people led to captivity. But in our New Testament reading, Paul is talking about a different kind of captivity, a different kind of slavery, a different kind of plunder, one where you're not forcibly taken, one where you're not carried off with a knife to your back or a gun to your head. And listen, listen to verse 8 again. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul says, don't be taken captive by philosophy. Don't be made a slave by philosophy. Don't be plundered by philosophy. Now, we have to pause here just for a moment and note that Paul's meaning for philosophy might be a bit different than yours. Now, maybe when you hear philosophy, you think of departments in universities that graduate one or two students a year. I got to be careful here because I know we have some philosophy majors, and in fact, Part of my seminary education was studying philosophy. When you, when you hear, maybe, maybe better put is when you hear philosophy, perhaps you think of, of something difficult to grasp, difficult to read. And maybe you think of, of systems of speculative thinking. Maybe you think of people like Plato and Aristotle, a Kant, Hegel. Well, this isn't what Paul means. This is not a biblical proof text to be anti-philosophy. I mean, the church has used philosophy in her, in her service for centuries. But when Paul says philosophy, he has a much broader meaning in mind. When Paul uses the word philosophy, it does include speculative systems of thought. It does include Plato and Aristotle, Kant, Hegel, but it also includes any system of thought including religion, including religious practice, mythological beliefs, magical practices, political leanings, points of view. For, for Paul, philosophy would have included the worship of Baal and Asherah. Those are the idols mentioned in our reading from the book of Judges. For Paul, philosophy would include his understanding of philosophy would include Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Scientology, ancestor worship, earth worship, self-worship, UFO worship, any religion. When Paul says philosophy, he is saying, he's saying that any religion outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ that rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ, that adds to the gospel of Jesus Christ, can make you a captive, a slave, 
can put you in chains, cause you to be plundered. Now, it, it, on the other hand, it also means that those who adhere to any religion outside of Christianity are captives, slaves in chains, in bonds, in darkness, human plunder. Now, I know it's a challenging thing for us to hear in our very tolerant society, but, but Paul is teaching that they are captives who need Jesus Christ to free them, who need Jesus Christ to break their chains, to burst their bonds, to shine into the darkness. Because only the Son of God, only the light of the world can free from empty deceit, can free from human tradition, can free from the spirits of this world. Now, other religions making you captive is one thing. But what about a system of thought? What about a point of view? What about an ideology? Now, Paul... Paul's understanding of philosophy would also include socialism, Marxism, feminism, liberalism, libertarianism, multiculturalism, atheism, conservatism, capitalism, Darwinism, and these are just some examples. Now, some might be obvious to you. Maybe, maybe you can say, all right, I can see how Marxism can make you captive. But what about a good point of view? What about a, a good ideology? What about one that's benefited culture and society? Capitalism, democracy. How, how, how could that make you a captive? How could that make you a slave? How could that make you human plunder? Well, it doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen all at once. Usually, usually it's a gradual process. Usually it's a slow, steady process. And this is, this is more of what Paul's directly addressing to the church in Colossae. Whatever, whenever, whenever a point of view, whenever an ideology, whenever a system of thought, whenever a cause becomes elevated next to Jesus Christ in your life, in your heart, in your mind, there's always the possibility that it will take over, slowly take over, subtly take over. In other words, there's the danger that the point of view becomes first in your life rather than Jesus, that the ideology becomes first in your heart rather than Jesus, that the cause becomes the center of your life rather than Jesus. You slowly fill your life with it. It gradually becomes the center of your life. It gradually becomes what you think about, talk about, form your relationships around, make decisions according to, spend your money on. In other words, it becomes an idol. It's replaced Jesus in your life. It's displaced Jesus in your life. It's become first. And idols have power. Idols demand service, namely your time and your energy and your money. And before you know it, before you know it, it's carried you off plundered you, made you captive, and not by force, not by force. 
Now, the, the author C.S. Lewis comments on this very thing in his amazing book, The Screwtape Letters. Now, this is a book of letters written from a demon named Screwtape to his nephew demon, Wormwood. Now, the nephew demon, Wormwood, is trying to keep a man from faith in Jesus. He's, he's tempting this man. And the letters from his uncle, Screwtape, are full of advice on how to do it. So when you read the book, if you never read it, you have to, you have to think backwards because you want to go against the advice of the demon. Well, chapter 25 of the book has a letter that speaks to what we are talking about today. Let me, let me read just a short excerpt from the Screwtape Letters. My dear Wormwood, the real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it is merely Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis. Christianity and the new psychology, Christianity and the new order, Christianity and faith healing, Christianity and psychical research, Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian coloring. So do you, do you hear his advice? His, his demonic advice is to make sure that Christians are not merely Christian. That they're not merely followers of Jesus, devoted to Jesus. It needs to be Christianity and something. It needs to be Jesus and something. Some other philosophy, some other point of view, some other ideology, some other cause. Because that other something, that other philosophy can take you captive plunder you, make you a slave. And before you know it, you've left your first love. Before you know it, you've left your Savior just like God's people in the Day of Judges. Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not saying that all points of view, all ideologies, all systems of thought, all causes are evil or corrupt or wicked. I'm not saying that they will enslave you. No. They have to have the proper place in your life. And that proper place is subservient to your faith, under your faith, under Jesus Christ. Not alongside. Not equal to there cannot be an and. There cannot be Jesus and something. There cannot be two lords in your life. You only serve one. And the danger is that one may not be Jesus. Paul's warning is, let no one take you captive. Why? Because you're free. You're already free. You're free in Jesus. You're free through Jesus. You're free because of Jesus. You are, by faith, you're a free son of the heavenly father. You're a free daughter of the heavenly father. 
He's poured out his love upon you through the Son, through his crucified and resurrected Son. Listen again to what Paul writes about him, about the Son in verse 9 and 10 of our passage. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him. You're free in him, and you're filled in him. The one who the fullness of deity dwells bodily, he's filled you, filled you. There's no, there's no need to look anywhere else for fulfillment. There's no need to look anywhere else for purpose, for meaning. There's, there's no need to add anything else with him for fulfillment or purpose or meaning. It will only lead to slavery and emptiness. Look at your life. Look in your heart. Have you been plundered? Have you been taken captive? Is there something alongside Jesus? Leave it behind. Take off the chains. Return to freedom and live in Jesus. Jesus alone, not Jesus and, but Jesus alone. And walk in him, walk in him free and walk in him filled. Thanks be to God. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 